Welcome to Warriors Offcourt. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau. On today's episode of Warriors Offcourt, I'm joined by Wes Goldberg, the Warriors beat writer for the San Jose Mercury News. During our conversation, Goldberg and I discussed whether Marquise Chris should be Golden State's starting center next season, the Dragon Bender experiment, and much, much more. Wes, we are here in section 126 of Chase Center overlooking the deconstruction of the Chase Center floor. It is late. I, sh- I was about to say it's late Tuesday night. It's actually early Wednesday morning after the Warriors 112-94 loss to the Kings. Now, we can touch a little bit on the game. I'm honestly not that concerned with the result of this game. It was the Warriors' seventh straight defeat. They're still the NBA's worst team. They are well positioned for a, for the chance of having uh, 14% odds of the number one pick in June's NBA draft, even though Steph Curry is poised to return probably March 1st, which is Monday, correct, or, or Sunday? Uh. <laughs> it is coming up uh, <laughs> i believe it's monday um so uh steph we we got the sunday n- sorry sunday uh f- forgive me listeners i am an nba beat writer every day is wednesday and today actually is wednesday yeah. so it's especially confusing uh but uh so we we got the and i'm, I'm using air quotes here we got the quote-unquote news today that steph curry is coming back or is, is on track to come back on Sunday, uh, that is obviously news that we have reported. Um, it, it wasn't is one of those newsy things that's not exactly news, but the fact that he is on track to return bodes well for the Warriors. Wins or losses aside, it just you they're going to have a 25 game or so runway with Steph to get him comfortable with Andrew Wiggins and the rest of his his uh, supporting cast. Looking ahead to when he comes back. What to you are the biggest things you're going to be watching? Uh, most just how he interacts with the guys who do project as uh, possible contributors next year. And when I say possible, I mean that because it kind of depends on how they interact with Steph, right? I mean, what is and Jordan Poole looks good. Uh, he's looked great the last few games. How does he look when the ball is out of his hands and it's in Steph's hands? You know, a guy like Damian Lee even, who's played well off the ball and he's been sort of this microwave scorer for them. How does he look when he's next to Steph Curry? You mentioned Andrew Wiggins. That's a big one. He's going to have way more runway than a lot of these other guys. But even a guy like Marquise Chris, who had a great game uh, against the Kings tonight, but uh, he played so well next to Steph during the preseason. That's kind of what got him uh, from that training camp deal to a regular contract at the start of the regular season. How does he look again with Steph? Is that chemistry still there? Is that something that they have to refigure out? Uh, I'm, I think that that projects well. I think the Warriors are bullish on, on Marquise Chris, but there's a lot of guys. I mean, even a guy like Eric Paschal. I mean, when, the, when he's not able to put up uh, as many shots and when he's not able to go into isolation as much because Steph Curry needs the ball, what does he look like next to Steph? I mean, that is to me what I'm looking like. How does that ripple effect? Because we know that Steph Curry affects the geometry of the court. He's one of these, you know, plus-minus heroes, one of these plus-minus gods. Everybody always talks about him. We all have the stats in front of us and everything like that. He affects the game so dramatically. He is going to affect these young players. No, it's going to be fascinating because, like you said, he changes the entire dynamic. Um, you hit on an interesting point there. Um, Marquise Chris had another sensational night tonight uh he was 20 had 21 points in only 25 minutes on eight for 10 shooting 
along with 10 rebounds and three assists. Um, six of those eight shots came within the restricted area, so they were pretty much all on dunks or alley-oops. Uh, from, from a lot of them from Kai Bowman. Seems like he has a nice connection with him. Also guys like uh, another guy like Jordan Poole. So just based off what you've seen from Marquise since he came back and signed that two-way um, a couple months ago, do you think it's fair to say that this guy can be your starting center on a championship caliber or at least contending caliber team next season? Offensively, I have no doubts. Uh, he is great at handling the ball. He's got great basketball feel, which is unteachable. And he showed that immediately um, in, in training camp and in the preseason, especially with Steph. Great at the dribble handoffs. Great at just knowing the timing of stuff. That stuff's hard, man. Uh, especially with a guy like Steph who moves so fast and he's got like all these fast twitch things going on to be able to deliver the ball on a timely base in a timely manner when you've never played with the dude before is really impressive and that's only gonna get better and you know that projects well to play with a guy like Clay Thompson too my only question if if we're talking about high wire the the elite centers when you really need to get things going can he defend at that level uh, when it's the Western Conference semifinals, when it's the Western Conference finals, when maybe it's Anthony Davis in front of you, uh, maybe it's Nikola Jokic in front of you, uh, maybe it's Joel Embiid in the finals against you. I don't know that he can guard at that level, but then again, that maybe that's why you have Kevon Looney. Maybe that's why right. you go small with Draymond Green at center. I don't know, but he could definitely be, and the Warriors have done this, the plug-and-play starter. Maybe that, I, I do think that he is, uh, he's that. You said something to me earlier. He's sort of this combination of JaVale McGee and Andrew Bogut. If he, because of the way he's a lob threat like JaVale McGee is, and because of his passing ability like Andrew Bogut, maybe that's just what he is. And right now, in the regular season, he could play 25 minutes a night, but in the playoffs, maybe that's down to 18 minutes a night. Yeah, I mean, the reality is they don't want to spend big money on that center position, uh, partly because the way the Warriors' offense is, they that center position needs to be more of a fulcrum of the offense more of a kind of offensive hub where you're in the you're in the paint and you're you're kicking out to shooters and you're kind of good at finding those open guys but also you know throwing down lobs and 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 what have you and so I actually think offensively he is the perfect fit for for this team and then like you said you know hopefully you kind of hodgepodge together answers in critical moments defensively now if Kevon Looney becomes the Kavon Looney of old, which I still think is possible, that's your answer right there. I mean, Kavon was that, you know, the past two finals runs, including a championship run. Uh, You know, when he's healthy, he's an elite small ball, you know, versatile defender. Um, And and he said it to us today, he's probably going to need this offseason to fully get back right because it's so hard mid-season when you're dealing with the injuries he is to get better you're just kind of trying to maintain so hopefully for him it's if he has i was gonna say two months but obviously since they're not making the playoffs it's gonna be more like four or five months to get his feet under him get back right mentally and physically he can come back and be kind of a defensive stalwart i still think even if Kevon comes back and kind of is that level of player that he was last season, you still start Kevon just because of what – or start, you still start Marquise just because of what he provides you offensively. Yeah, and I think we also have to take into consideration the fact that Kevon didn't even have last offseason, right? He had the collarbone injury. Uh, it was collarbone, right? It's yeah. late. I've been up for a long time. Collarbone injury again after taking a shoulder to the chest from uh, 
from Kawhi Leonard in the finals, and it's it messed him up. He played the rest of the series, but it messed him up for the entire offseason. So he didn't really have the offseason to get better or really do any of the work that he wanted to do. He didn't get to do any jiu-jitsu over the offseason, right? He had to rehab. Right. So you have that, plus the hamstring strain that was complicated by the neuropathic condition, that, and eventually he ended up with an abdominal strain, which he said, like, that affects everything. Like, that's not just, like, my abs hurt after ab day. That is literally his core doesn't work the way it ought to, and so he can't do anything. And you mentioned all the switchability stuff. That's all your core strength. That's all moving laterally for a big guy, you know, to be able to keep up with guys like James Harden and Damian Lillard like he did in the last postseason. He couldn't do any of that stuff this year at all. And he looked slow and bad, and he was bad. And, And it... Slow and bad, and he was bad. Yeah, he was just bad, and he does. And the Warriors, you know, just signed him to a three-year, fifteen million dollar contract, and that wasn't great. And uh, they need him to and get no back one to what they. And them for doing that. No, right? and look, and, and, and not I, only you, that, but they had to do all this salary cap gymnastics, and right. Hard cap, and like they, they really wanted it. Yeah, you and, you, and you said it before; it's impossible to get back into playing shape. So now it does look like he's starting to bounce back a little bit. He's getting. He, I mean, he played. Uh, a season high in minutes Sunday, and he played what 15 minutes on Tuesday thereabout. Um, so he's starting to get the minutes out there. He looks better. Um, he was only he was a minus one against uh, the uh, against the Kings, which is, was the best on the team since they lost by like 20 points. So look, I, I, he's starting to get back to the Kavan that they know and, and that they thought that they were getting when they signed him to a long term contract. So if, again, to kind of project forward, if you've got Marquise as you know, if your your offensive option, your offensive specialist at center, and then Kevon Looney is your defensive specialist at center, and then you go into this offseason, grab one more sort of traditional big when you have to play, you know, the Hassan Whitesides and the Jonas Valanciunas and the Joel Embiid's and Nikola Jokic's, you get like a legit traditional center like that, then I think you got something. I, I think that's a solid three-man sort of bullpen at the five spot. Yeah, because I don't think you should be expecting anything from Alan Smiley-Geach next season um maybe maybe the next two seasons uh he has looked like a fish out of water the past couple weeks um he he had some nice moments early in the season but it's just clear he does not understand how to impact the game of basketball at this level without the ball in his hands which is such an important thing in any nba offense but especially the Warriors offense um it'll be really interesting to see but I do think that it does the growth and progression of Marquise Chris does take some pressure off of the Warriors to draft you know a a James Wiseman type in the draft you know he's 22 years old and it's it's crazy to think about this but Obi Toppin out of Dayton who has been linked to the Warriors it's like has a guy who the Warriors you linked him to the Warriors Yes, I'm not. You know, I hate to, you know, you give that. myself credit, but yeah, no, I've I've written that many times. The Warriors are big fans of Obi Toppin, um, and he is going to be, a, you know, the he's most credible report that's published <laughs> on this podcast. He's uh he's 22. I, th- I believe he'll be 23 at the start of next season. So he will be the same age as Marquise Chris. So just to put that in perspective, a guy who is going to be a rookie next season, who could be a rookie on the Warriors next season, will be the same age as Marquise Chris. So this guy's been in the league for four years, right? This is his fourth year, and uh, he still has so much growth and room ahead of him. I do believe that this is someone who can be a a real franchise building block. And I I was criticized so much when I wrote that several times based off sourcing and reporting I have within the organization, and then they cut him, 
And everyone's like, you're an idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about. We now know, and, and Marquise went on the radio today and confirmed this, that he knew the entire time he was coming back to the Warriors. He knew that they were going to bring, when they cut him in Sacramento, uh, that he was going to turn down any buyout offer or any offers on waivers. He was going to come back on a two-way and then eventually sign a multi-year deal. And it went exactly according to plan. Right, and look, he prioritized something very important. He he said, you know what, he he knew he was going to have to sign a two-way at first, and that's a lot less money than he was making on a standard contract. Um, and like nothing's guaranteed in this league. Marquise Chris knows that more than anybody at this point. But he thought that the Warriors gave him the best chance to establish himself as a meaningful player in this league, where he was on the fringe of the NBA. I mean, let's he got a training camp invite, man. Like he was this former is, top ten pick. Yeah, number eight in twenty sixteen. That's not that long ago. Uh, with that sort of athleticism and that sort of skill that he has, uh, is 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 insane. And so to go from the fringe of the NBA to a place that finally values what it is that you do well, because in Phoenix and Houston and and Cleveland, I mean, they were either not playing him or asking him to stand in the corner and shoot threes. And it's like, no, this dude is like one of the fastest centers in the league. He can jump out of the building. He can dunk. Uh, he's great at passing like we were talking about before, and they, none of those places use those skills, uh, and they just wanted to try to make him sort of this fashionable stretch five instead, which is like, why did you draft him if that's what you wanted? So he finally finds a location that, that uses him right, and he's like, you know what? I have plenty of time to make money. Like you said, he's going to be 23 next year. He's going to go into next year making a minimum-ish contract, but the Warriors are going to presumptively be good again, Right. Uh, they're at least going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be contenders in the West. Uh, they're going to be a whole lot better than they were this year. And then he's going to be going into uh, an off season. So next year to be his contract year is huge for him because he's only going to get better than what he's at now, especially playing next to Steph and Clay. I mean, there's a world where Marquise Chris goes after next year is averaging maybe, I don't know, 10 points. I don't think he's going to average a ton of points playing with all those guys. Maybe he's averaging something like 10 points, but he's also getting like five or six assists a game. Right, right. Which it's, a would, lot of it's a lot of assists, but they use him so much in these in these yeah. dribble handoffs and stuff. I mean, a dribble handoff's a fake assist, like you're just sort of handing the ball to Steph Curry. But the way that that dude shoots, I mean, maybe even if it's four assists, that's still among the tops in the in in the league among big men, uh, and that's going to warrant a big contract. So he's setting himself up well for the future. We'll have more of my conversation with Wes Goldberg right after the break. One thing that I found interesting about his explanation uh, of returning to the Warriors and that how that all kind of came about is it speaks to just how unique of a situation this this Warriors season has been because you know we've we were there in Brooklyn a couple weeks ago when the Warriors traded or news broke that the Warriors were trading Alec Burks and, and Glenn Robinson the third and that locker room post game was downright distraught and, and Alec Burks was in there and you could tell he was genuinely upset and Glenn Robinson had already left and everything we heard was that he was distraught and, and it comes out later that they're being traded to Philadelphia which is a playoff bound team they're going from the worst team in the NBA to a playoff bound team in Philadelphia and you know when Marcus Chris has the opportunity to kind of pick his suitor on the on the you know as a, on the waiver wire he, he turns them all down to come back to the worst team in the NBA. What do you think that says about this quote-unquote Warriors culture? And 
just having been around the NBA a little while, how kind of unique is that, that that exists? There are very, very few teams that do. And look, I mean, Marquise is coming from, you know, two of the three situations with very questionable culture with Phoenix and Cleveland. And even Houston, based on what we've heard lately, might not be the best culture either. I mean, they do tend to get a lot out of role players, but uh, not necessarily out of their bigs, uh, unless you count P.J. Tucker, which I don't know if you do, but I'm getting off track here. So... Uh, look, I, I do think that the Warriors culture does stand above most teams in the league, and I think that's a credit not only to Steve Kerr and Bob Myers, but just all the coaching um, hires that they have made. There's not really a weak link, as far as I'm concerned, on the player development staff, on the assistant coaching staff. I mean, you've got a guy like Ron Adams as now sort of this satellite coach who's around, um, you know, during home games and home practices and stuff. There's, you've got Steve Nash showing up for practices, you know, all the time and things like that. I, this, there is a real culture here. And I know you do a quote unquote culture. Um, I know, and I hate using that word because it's just so cliche, it's, but it's a real, it's, there's not a better word to describe what it is. I mean, it's a work, it's a workplace environment. I mean, that it, this is what Fortune 500 companies seek to establish. This is what uh, we, we are in Silicon Valley. I mean, how many Silicon Valley tech giants have tried to create great uh, work environments? The Warriors have done that. They have created a, a, a functional, positive workplace environment that tends to get the most out of its players. And that's why they're willing to take chances on guys like Marquise Chris or Dragon Bender or, you know, in the past, JaVale McGee, Nick Young, these kinds of guys, because they believe in that and they want to test that by the way that is part of it too it's like it's easy to have a great workplace environment and everybody is all you know happy and, and cheering and stuff like that when it's Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and stuff like that but what happens when you bring in a Nick Young what happens when you bring in a JaVale McGee or a Marquise Chris or a Dragon Bender like that's when you really get to test it and I, I do think that that's what they're doing this year because now is the year to do it and for the most part the results have been really good and have only sort of underscored the, that the culture in fact is is a real thing i can only think of really a few other teams that can do what the warriors have done and can have that sort of reaction that you talked about from alec and glenn uh, in their organization that's rare i've been around this team four years and i can't think of a better example than that night in brooklyn when burks and and robinson were traded of just what makes this franchise special like to me that was just a go-to example because it's just so unique I'm not sure there's ever been a, a team in the NBA that has the worst record by a long shot in the league that most players aren't trying to leave immediately like that is just that just defies what you think sports are um, so it's it's interesting being able to cover a, a, a franchise that that's unique in that way and and you kind of led into my my next topic perfectly which is Dragon Bender, you know, he there's some similarities there between him and, and Marquise just because they were together in Phoenix. They were both high draft picks, uh, actually in the same draft. Um, I believe Bender was fourth and then uh, Chris went eighth, which also speaks to like what the heck are the Suns doing? Taking <laughs> two top 10 picks who, you know, are obsessively play the same position. same position and have similar skill sets. Uh, like, what are you doing there? And so they kind of pit them against each other in a weird way. And then Marquise, you know, that, that rookie season actually outplayed Bender. And then that second season at times, Bender outplayed Chris. And it, sound, it felt like each other's playing time depended on how well the other player was doing. And so just, like, not really a healthy 
environment. Uh, That's but Phoenix's favorite thing to do, by the way, is get two players at the same position and just like put them against each other. They did that with Isaiah Thomas and Goran Dragic. What did they do? They ended up getting rid of both of them. What did they do with Marquise and and Dragon Bender? I mean. They ended up getting rid of both of them because neither of them worked out. Like that's the Suns' favorite thing to do. Right. So the to me, Bender is kind of a fascinating case study in just the modern the modern NBA and scouting and and how this whole process comes together. You know, this was a guy who looks like the perfect big man for the modern NBA. He he's skilled. He's a good passer. He can knock down the open three pointer. Um, he's he can get up and down the floor, but entering the league in 2016, he had very little experience against high level competition uh, at the international level in the Euro League. hadn't really wasn't even really playing in the Israeli league. He goes number four, is thrown in the fire, and and then just isn't really ready for it. But even though the Suns are are saying that you know that we know this is a project, they don't treat it as such. They give up on him immediately. So what what do you think about just a lot? And this is it isn't unique to the Suns, even though they're notorious for it. Why do teams do that? I don't understand it. It's just bad business. Why do you draft someone knowing that they're going to be a long term project and then give up on them within two years? I think well, man, when it comes to a team like Phoenix or other teams that notoriously do this, is like the Sacramento Kings. Uh, it's because they have so many coaching changes and stuff. So, like, you know, for Phoenix, one coach comes in, is part of that draft room. They draft Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender, and then they decide, and a new coach comes in, and they're like, I don't want any of these guys. And so I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is you only have 15 men, men on a roster, right? So that definitely is part of it. It's not an NFL roster where you could just have, like, 60 dudes, right? And if some of them don't pan out, it's not a big deal. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of pressure to get the most out of these rosters. So I do think that with a lot of coaching changes and instability in the front office comes instability with your 15-man roster. And so that's that to me is huge. Uh, I don't know um, if Dragon Bender is going to pan out with the Warriors, but it is a really interesting case study to see if it could. Like, Marquise Chris is one thing. Um, you know, Andrew Wiggins is another thing. This Dragon Bender is sort of the the biggest test of if the Warriors can save a dude, right? Uh, and, look, I I, I kind of waver with Dragon Bender. I don't know what his long... I, I think he's worth maybe another 10-day contract. He might, he might even be worth like a training camp sort of offer and seeing what he's got. Uh, I think this is a, proj- a project worth pursuing. But to me, he kind of feels like th- these guys that just look great going up against a chair in right. a draft workout... Uh, he's seven one, and he's like really seven one, right? Uh, he's kind of has the profile of seven a good outside shooter. Fan. I mean, yeah, uh, he's got all these things going for him. But then in the game, you know, he just doesn't really produce at the level that you think he ought to, and that's sort of been the thing that's always dogged him. And maybe it is just the fact that he hasn't ever gone against, or really, it doesn't have a lot of experience going up against top level competition like he is now in the NBA, but. Uh, you, you feel like there should be more, and you watch him, and you're like, oh, and you look down, and you're like, oh, he's 0 for 4. Like, yeah, like tonight he played 25 minutes, was 0 for 4 with zero points and only and five rebounds and one assist. Like, you saw a lot of those types of games with Phoenix where it's like you're just a body on the court. Like, you're, you're not actually doing anything. Right. And there's moments where you see – the flashes of his skill level like he'll do a couple awesome things and then he'll miss the lab and it's like okay 
but you know part of being a professional and part of being an NBA player is finishing the play and finishing the sequence like you can only get so much praise for doing a, you know a couple cool moves to get to the rim and then miss and then miss the layup and it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the Warriors do with him I mean he's gonna have uh what three more games now after after the yeah, uh the Kings game more. uh and maybe you sign him to another 10 day and he gets a couple more games out of it but uh in that first game he looked pretty good against the Pelicans, but he's playing the five because Marquise Chris wasn't playing. Marquise Chris comes back, and they play Dragon Bender almost exclusively at power forward. Yeah. And he doesn't look good. And he and got, I think he's a five, and they see him as a five, too. They, they talk about him as a five, and tonight he had to guard uh, Harrison Barnes, and he just didn't look good. He couldn't do it. Harrison Barnes had a great night. So um, I, I do think they need to figure out a way to get him more at the five, so maybe it ends up to, to like – Okay, now he's not playing 25 minutes. You know, look, another part of this was that they were without Draymond Green for the last couple of games. So yeah. if you get Draymond back, which they expect him to come back against the Lakers, then then you're probably playing Bender more at the five. You're not playing him in 25 minutes. Maybe you're playing him closer to 12. I also think 12. that, you know, over the next couple games, you know, showcasing him and, and seeing what he can do at the five should be a priority, yeah. you know, over playing. Maybe you take some minutes away from Chris or, or Kavan just because – you know, right now in this moment, you need to see what Bender can do. Um, I I personally would not have an issue if if Bender finishes his ten day shooting fifteen percent from the field, and they still bring him back on another ten day. To me, it's that intriguing of a possibility, and you should give it maybe more than five games um, just to see how it shakes out. But I could my my gut tells me that this is going to end up being. A situation that just kind of reinforces what we already knew, which is he's unfortunately just not an NBA player. Like I, I'm not saying I'm convinced about that, but I do think I'm kind of leaning toward the fact that he's a guy who looks like an NBA player but isn't an NBA player. I remember I, I grew up a, a big Blazers fan, and there was a guy named Victor Culver, who the Warriors or sorry, the Blazers were really excited about. They drafted him late in the first round. He was over in Spain, killing it in Spain, and uh, was like all Euro League and everything. And then Blazers fans were stoked. They're like, okay, we're going to get him. He's going to be a key rotation piece. He comes over. He doesn't do anything. He just was nothing. Like he could, he just made no impact on the game in any way. And it just did not translate. You know, it doesn't always translate. Yeah, I mean, you've got, like, empty stats guys, and then you've got, like, just empty guys, and he sort of has just been that throughout his career. I'm not ready to make any sort of um, conclusion on him, but uh, they need more so than anything to play him at the five, and I think you made a great point just now. Uh, take five minutes away from, you know, Marquise Chris. Like, we get it. Like, we, j- we started the show talking about Marquise. We, the dude could play. Like, we know that. He's going to be a major player, a major contributor next season. Give, give some minutes to five to Dragon Bender. Take him out of the four spot if you really view him as a five. Because, look, if, if you actually believe he could be a floor spacer at that five spot and he's seven, foot, seven feet tall, you, you owe it to yourself to see if you can make that work. Because he's basically been playing forward his entire career, and he needs to be playing center. And you got to put him there to get an accurate you know, evaluation. So... Look, you know, there were things that were happening. Again, Draymond Green was out. Marquis Chris missed one of these games. So I think going forward, if you can play him at the five, get him to sh- shoot the ball from three-point range and, and get him more in those positions that you think he should be playing, you'll get a better evaluation on him, and then you go from there. And, and maybe it does in, involve a second 10-day contract to get that full evaluation. But when you look at the, the landscape of dudes that you could sign a 10-day contracts, there's not a whole lot of guys with a ceiling high, much higher than Dragon Bender. I mean, it's not like... 
Kevin Durant sitting there for a 10-day contract, right? Yeah. I mean, this, these are sort of the guys we're talking I mean, about. He's so intriguing skill-wise. Right. He really there's a reason why he went top 5. Yeah. Like I don't blame mostly because the Suns reached, for loving but him. yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> it was a reach. But he's but, a lottery pick. But I totally understand why a lot of teams loved him. I mean, the Warriors obviously liked him. Uh, you know, Kirk Lakeup said that the other day that they were fans of him in the draft. Now, would they have used a top five pick on him? Probably not, but that also wasn't a super strong draft, you know? Like, right. you know, may, just like the Bucks did a few years ago, you, you take that lottery pick and you go get Thonmaker because Thonmaker has a higher ceiling than other guys. But, you know, obviously that hasn't panned out. Maybe Thonmaker's the, the next the risk. contract guy. He, is he even in the league I right now? Know. I have no idea. Detroit? Um, yeah, he was last with Detroit. We'll look that up later. But, uh, Wes, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's always great chatting with you. Where can uh, our listeners find your find your quality work? Uh, follow me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. You can read my writing over at the Mercury News, and you can still find Thon Maker on the Detroit Pistons. And the fact that we cover the NBA and we forgot that he was on the Pistons says all you need to know. Our thanks to Wes Goldberg for joining me on the podcast. It's always great talking Warriors with him. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 